Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate, And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. Sean DeVries is an award-winning producer, writer, and director. Over the past 15 years, he has created and run more than 200 hours of television for major networks across Canada and around the world. His credits include Bachelor Canada, Border Security, Love It or List It, Cheer Squad, Liquidator, which is one of my favorites, and many more. Sean has also launched a number of online platforms, international ad campaigns, and is a specialist in product integration for television. His clients include tourism agencies across Canada, USA, Mexico, and the Caribbean. And he's also worked with major brands, including Nutra, Nestle, Sunswing, Molson, Colgate, and that's just to name a few. In a previous life, Sean was a senior writer-producer for CBC and a London-based journalist for BBC World Television in London. Join me today as Sean shares his journey, a seemingly ordinary individual achieving extraordinary results. Listen in, much to learn. Sean DeVries, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. We've had the opportunity to meet recently, and uh, we're working on some really, really cool projects with Rain, and uh, you're quite the leader in that scheme of things. But uh, aside from all that, thanks for uh, joining me. It is great to be here. Thanks for the time. Now, Sean, listen, for those who are kind of checking in with us, and uh, you know, I'd like to always start with my guests and ask them, so what do you do, Sean? Uh, I do a lot of things. I'm a a bit of a jack of all trades, uh, master of few. Uh, I'm an executive producer and showrunner for television, uh, the web, any portal, any OTT, anything out there that's entertainment and shot with a camera. Uh, I showrun, executive produce. I've uh, 
created about 10 to 15 shows, about 200 hours of uh, TV. Some of it is good. I, uh, some, of, also, some of it is good. Some of it is good. Some of it's worth watching. Well, everyone's why everybody always goes, you know, the first question everyone always asks is, well, what did you make? And then you start listing the shows like, no, nah, I haven't heard of it. No, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> okay. So you did, you did drop the name OT or the, the OTT, which stands uh-huh. over the top. Not yeah, sorry. Knows. That was insider. Yeah, that's fine. That's insider lingo. So, um, you know, my job is to draw out that insider lingo and say, what the hell are you talking about? So my guests understand exactly, you know, what you're talking about. So, uh-huh. so Sean, you, you, you produced some shows. You've been in that game. What else are you doing? What else are you doing? Uh, I am a junior, I call it junior, uh, let's say a medium uh, real estate investor. I started a uh, investing in real estate probably in 2016, 2017 with a friend of mine and grew that into, you know, we have about 15 to 20 doors and we're looking at some bigger buildings right now. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually came out of TV because when I started in TV, it was there was only a plan A. It was like, build a production company, get shows greenlit. And that's what all, all I was going to do. And, and, and then I realized very quickly when the TV landscape started to change in around 2014, 2015, that maybe this wasn't the only future and I couldn't handle the stress of having all the eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. And so I started to think about what are alternatives? How can I secure a future for my family? And how can I love TV again? And I found I couldn't love it with the wolf at the door all the time. So it was like, how do I relieve that? And, uh, and forgive me, cut me off if I'm going on too long here. But uh, I had a friend when I was in university in Australia 20 years ago. And I lived with him for three months in Australia. And he, we were in university, we were young in our early 20s. And he had two apartment buildings in Windsor. And I thought, this is the craziest thing on earth. What is this kid own these apartment buildings for? And I always thought about that. And I did not speak to him for two decades. <laughs> Jump ahead. And I'm thinking, I remember this guy, Marco, and he had these apartment buildings. Why don't I look into that? And so I hadn't spoken to him in 20 years. I Googled him. He had become a vet surgeon in the meantime. He ended up being in Vancouver just two months before that. And we just hooked up for a beer. And in 15 minutes, we were in business. Um, because he was from Windsor, which was the area I was starting to look at for real estate. And then the rest is history. It's gone really well. Yeah. You guys have had a nice ride in Windsor. What's happening over the past few years. And I know that you and I have talked about it and you're looking to expand (laughs) into other markets and considering other options that are on the table for you. Um, let's go back. So are you considered a producer, director, a producer, director? What's the, what's the right handle for you in terms of that industry? Back to the jack of all trades thing, I, I used to be what was called the head of development. So I created shows for a larger company. I then got a chance to executive produce a show called The Bachelor mm-hmm. uh, here in Canada. They brought the version up for a Canadian audience. Uh, I then started my own production company uh, with a partner, became executive producer of what we'll call like a bricks and mortar production company. And we worked very hard uh, for few years of this. And I started to realize that wasn't the path that I wanted to be on. And so what I did then was I left my role as, as the owner and executive producer of a bricks and mortar production company. And I went on my own. And when I went on my own, I sort of wrote down a list. I still have this list and it's what is, how do I want to live my life? Not what do I want to own? And I created that and I realized being tied for me to a bricks and mortar company with the weight, responsibility of employees, et cetera, et cetera, was not me being my best self. 
And so I started to write down what I wanted to do and what I love to do. So it broke down to, I love creating shows. I love directing shows. I love running shows and owning them, which is essentially executive producing is another thing I love to do. Can I do this without owning a huge bricks and mortar company? And that's what I've been building. So the long answer to a short question is I can create shows and own them. I can run them for other people and I can direct them and write them as well. So in the, in, in what you're doing right now in this space, you've done, you know, you, you mentioned a bachelor for Canada, but you, you also, I recall you've done some name kind of dropping kind of shows. Like there's some name dropping worthy shows that you've done as I recall, or, or, or not. I, I don't remember. No, no, no. I, I suppose name dropping kind of shows that people would actually know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, like you're not, the, yeah. You're, you, you've done some cool stuff. Like don't sell yourself short. No, that's fair. That's fair. I always, uh, yeah. You know, cause, cause a lot of people, uh, when you say you're on TV, they'll do one of two things, ask you what you made or say to you very proudly, I don't watch TV. Right. Um, but for those who do, I, um, I brought the format for border security Canada. Oh, which is one of the top novels called non-scripted shows. Show. Yeah. Very popular. They run marathons, like especially like over Christmas. I don't know who's watching this, but over Christmas, they'll air it for like 24 hours and gets quite an audience. So that one's big. I've done creative work, although it's not my show, uh, Love It or List It, which is uh, obviously a big real estate format. It's done well. I created a show called Urban Suburban, which is another real estate show where I met people um, who got me into real estate investing back then. There was a big CBC doc series called Village on a Diet. We put a whole town uh, on a giant weight loss program for three months. So that was fun. And then, of course, there's uh, The Bachelor. I want to say they did that in, uh, I think they did a show like that out here in Abbotsford or near Aldergrove. So near Abbotsford, where they put the whole town like the whole town was on a diet it was really it was I, margaret did that show margaret they did one see it, it's interesting you say that i did a show in aldergrove uh a format called million dollar neighborhood that i created. oh that's what it was that's what that, it was. That, yeah i created that show yeah oh cool uh, well, yeah. That was, i enjoyed that show actually it was really it was great so well done. it was fun and, and and what blew me away was and i think you probably found this in your experience with people at rain is there is such a willingness for people to change their habits, to, to change their life. And they need just someone to spur them into some action. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, it's not hard, right? Like, like whether it's losing weight or changing your financial circumstances, they're not overtly like conceptually difficult things. They're psychologically difficult things, I think, to wrap your head around. And, and I found that when we put people on a diet, uh, when we, it was in Taylor, BC that we shot this, there was a couple of people, they were just waiting for someone to give them enough of a reason to get off their butts and they changed their life forever, you know? Well, it's that accountability part of it. You know, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, as coaches, you know, we've coached a lot over the years. And of course, with Real Estate Investment Network, that's really what it is. It's a big coaching program for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it's that accountability part of it. Some uh, confidence is borrowed. So knowing the direction to go. And those mm-hmm. are all always really interesting to watch how individuals react to those scenarios. But to your point, sometimes it's not intellectually as challenging it is, as it is psychologically to get through and bust through what you need to do to achieve that goal. So yeah. that's always interesting. But take me back a little bit, Sean. So how did you morph into the TV industry? What kind of led you on that path to get you to doing that kind of stuff? Uh, well, I was always interested in in film, even as a kid. 
And I went to university just because I thought I needed to go to university. And I, I don't regret it. It wasn't the best, like, I would say, path to a career. But I did a, a philosophy degree. And then I took a ton of film courses. I basically had a philosophy and, and film degree. Thinking that, you know, just by my charm and genius, I was going to end up landing in a directing job on a major motion picture. And this is a true story, Patrick. I, I, uh, after I graduated, I went to a bookstore. And I picked up a book on how to get a career in film. And on page one, it said, the only thing worse than a film degree for getting a job in film is a philosophy degree. <laughs> I was like, shit, I got both. I'm, I'm going to be in trouble here. So I, I got very uh, pragmatic uh, and went to journalism school and became a reporter because it, I, I felt the process was similar. And I was a decidedly mediocre reporter because I was a filmmaker in a churning world of news so you know every day another story I, I worked at cbc at the time and and all sorts of changes in the organization and you're just cranking stuff up day after day after day and i was always the guy who wanted the um they used to call me the animal reporter because i always wanted to make a, a short film i didn't want to tell news and so i got very bad <laughs> not bad at that but i wasn't as successful as i should have been but what that gave me was a storytelling boot camp. Because when you're telling and creating and essentially starting the day with nothing and then finishing with two, three minutes of television at the end that, that tells a story that's complete, and you do that every day for three, five, I think it was in it for about eight years total, you get pretty good at recognizing how to tell a story right away. Mm -hmm. So picked up a lot of skills, a lot of producing skills, which applies to every arena in life, especially as an entrepreneur, like cold calling people, building relationships, building rapport, respecting deadlines, all of those things. So I left, I got an opportunity to leave uh, TV news at the time when cable TV was started getting bigger. And this is pre-YouTube. So lifestyle television was a big thing. That's what people did. They didn't go to YouTube yet, really. And so it was growing and it gave me a chance to direct. And I found my new skills suited me so well in a world that I wanted to be in. So I needed to get those skills, but I finally got to exercise a bit of my storytelling passions with like longer stories. And, and I mean, the rest was history. It was just a lot of fun. So I, I'm always interested in terms of how that journey for you started. So like, when did you, were you young so as I talk to, you know, mm -hmm. many guests on the show, you know, of course, the, the premise of the show is always seemingly ordinary individuals achieving extraordinary results. And I had my entrepreneurial accident and later in my life, I guess, if you will. And, mm -hmm. and, but, you know, so I didn't come, there was always an underlying for me, as long as I can remember that I wanted to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, that was as far back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. um, I always, there was something that just was always in me. Not sure where it came from because neither of my parents were that way. Uh, nobody else in my family was that way, you know, so I don't know where that was born. But so for you, you get a TV, you then look in, and you're actually talking about being on the other side of the camera. You're not talking about acting in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. did, did that ever, did that, was that ever of interest to you to be in front of the camera or it was behind the camera writing? Well, producing? I was as a reporter. I was just really bad at it. <laughs> 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 and you realize that you're like, you know, that's not, that's not being fair to myself, uh, but you realize where, again, your passions are. And I think when I, I go back to that point when I decided I really want to get into TV. It's, it's asking yourself, what are the questions I, or sorry, what are the problems I enjoy solving? 
And I found that the problems I enjoyed solving in front of the camera weren't as fun to me as the problems I enjoyed solving behind the camera. So I, I always had a very strong vision, even as a young person. I remember, you know, writing stories. I wasn't particularly good in school, but when it came to writing stories, creative or literature, I found it was just very easy for me. I just always saw my life in, the, in terms of story. And so being able to do that in a visual medium was always something I wanted to do. Honestly, I think I have an essay from when I was 11 years old where I wanted to be a film director. But there wasn't a question. And my dad's an electrician and, and it, very different, right? We have completely different minds. He's like insanely detail-oriented. He solves those problems. And I'm just a storyteller. I, I couldn't repair. I can barely hang a picture. Well, it's not interesting, you know, you bring up storytelling, and this is something that the executive team with Rain, we've talked about many times, because we we put programs together, we did a whole course on raising capital and digital and all the things that went with it. And because it's digital, we can have the option to upgrade it, mm-hmm. and, you know, to add new stuff. And that's really cool. And that's what we wanted to do. And but something that shows up often for me is is around somebody's ability to tell a story. Mm-hmm. And in the world of raising capital, that ability or in some cases a a gift that people can really create a vision they can put it out there and actually attract capital so the reason i bring that up for you is that in over the years as you've produced different shows and done all the things that you've done how important in business do you see storytelling given the scope of work that you've done over the years i think it's everything and i i have somewhat of a a unique background in that i was also in charge of selling the story I was creating. So I'm creating a show concept, which is essentially a series of stories, but I'm not going to sell this thing to anyone if I can't tell a story as well when I'm selling it. So you're out there at these massive conferences, getting opportunities to meet all these broadcasters. They're sitting down and they can be a tough bunch and they'll just sit there and look at you and go, what's your story? And I mean, you just sit there Expressionless. You're expressionless. They're listening yeah. to you. Yeah, not busting a smile. Oh, and sometimes it's even worse. I remember there was this one guy and I, I said, you know, I was very excited to meet him. And I'm like, I got this great show. And he looks at his watch. It's like five minutes. And then I'm like, well, can I get you, can I get you a drink or something? He's like, it better be a shot. And that was it. It's like, you got to get that pitch out. And I don't like you. And you're, and you, boy, you know, like you've got to believe your story. And I find, I find, sorry, that authenticity is key. Like what attracts me to this particular story? And I would always start with that. Why, what is my story about this show? Why am I compelled to buy it? What, what, what gives me sort of an authentic passion and why do I personally want to see this story play out? Because the show's not made yet, right? So I want to see what's going to happen. And if I'm excited about what's going to happen and I have good reason to be excited, chances are they can see my excitement and put me in the position of the audience. And then they're like, hey, we want to investigate this. This could be exciting. If I'm not excited about how this story is going to play out, why would anybody else be, right? Well, that's an interesting, and that's part of the industry where you have to pitch a deal, whether it may be to a, a broadcaster or money guy or money people, like you're you're having to actually pitch a deal. So you have to have the ability to sell the story or tell the story that you're trying to sell to them. Yeah. Now, there's a methodology to telling a story. Is there, you know, and I'm asking you that question. My my belief is, is that there is a make sure you always add an X, put an A in there and add a Y. And when you put an A, X, Y, A, Z together, you've got a great story and that will in fact support you in achieving. So there is a methodology to good storytelling that can actually be, I guess, 
taught or segmented. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I would think so, for sure. The reason I ask you, because I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot. So, you know, because we have listeners that, you know, I can't stress enough, you know, over the years, I've known and I know some just amazing storytellers. I mean, they're, they can, they'll just sell anything just based on their story alone. Like you don't even want to do the diligence. It's so good. You know, <laughs> so real. So, you know, so and these are good sales guys, perhaps, but, but ultimately, you know, what are some of the keys if, if somebody's listening to this and is not necessarily a great storyteller or wants to improve their storytelling, because that's how you can pitch deals. Is there some tips you would give to somebody? I just kind of thought of it. So Yeah, no, it's going to sound a little obvious, but I mean, I'll go back to what I said earlier. People will only care about your story as much as you do. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of people want to get through a pitch and it's like, man, if I'm bored, do I really want to partner with this person? Do I want to get excited about their idea? Do I want to spend time with them? I mean, personal, I won't want to say charisma, but I would say just sort of an authentic enthusiasm Mm -hmm. is hugely key. I mean, I've sold, you know, really <laughs> not boring shows, but shows that you're like, yeah, the, what set it apart? And, and then the argument would be your personal passion for that. Maybe what sets it apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is sort of what would get them interested. You create a sizzle, which is kind of like, I call it like a trailer for a movie that you haven't made yet. Right. And I'm always asking myself, if I'm sitting in a theater and I'm looking at this, what's going to turn me on about this? What's going to be I want to see this play out, right? And I think the same thing applies to to even to real estate. If you can build your story around a property and the potential of that property and where it could be in three, four, you know, 10 years, you're going to excite the people around you as well. And that's such as, you know, I I look at when individuals are trying to raise capital in in this particular conversation where we see storytelling is very, very valuable. It's the ability to tell a story even about a regional kind of area, what's great about a city and all of the things that are happening and the Uh story around economically what's going on, the story around the deals you're looking at, your own story about what you've achieved or what you plan to achieve or why you're raising capital. Those are all things that have to be thought about in advance of actually meeting with potential capital partners. Uh-huh. Now, you know, I think about Dragon's Den, you know, I've watched, it's not it's like, it's not a show I go to a lot, but I do watch it occasionally, or I have watched it. And what I do definitely notice is you've got four potential partners. And when those individuals show up on that show, they're freaking usually pretty tight. They're rehearsed. Yeah. They yeah. do that pitch. They know it word for word. Yeah. The guys who don't are the guys who usually uh, shit the bed on the deal yeah. and get it. The other guys, just the fact that they put in that effort and that they came through with a, with a lot of clarity, understood the numbers, understood what they were doing is really kind of a, can be a turning point when mm-hmm. you're sitting in front of four potential capital partners or partners overall. And, and I mean, using Dragon's Den even as an example, a lot of people come with a lot of evidence for their product, but often it's the passion that wins them over at the end. So I always say, like, be prepared to answer any question, but tell one story, right? Tell one story you're proud of and just keep your focus tight so people know what you're about, but then be prepared because everything else will be answering questions, right? Because they'll come to you with the what ifs and this and that. And that's where you have to have all your ducks in a row. But when you go in to sell somebody on something and tell them a story to sell, you know, people only want one story. They don't want like, what's the focus here, right? They don't want to have to ask themselves that question. 
That's a really good point. I love that point because it is about what is the focus, you know, and, and then constructing the story backwards, working backwards from what that outcome or what that single focus is and, uh, and being able to construct the story. And, you know, I, I wanted to spend a few minutes on it because I see, you know, as a team, we see time and time again. I mean, we talk to real estate investors all the time. And one of the questions they go is, I can't seem to, I just can't sell myself. Well, you know, show up to your point, show up authentically. That's the first thing you have to do. And then also know in advance, what is the story you're telling and how do you want to present it? And it doesn't hurt. I always say, you got to connect your brain to your tongue. Like you cannot go in cold because it always sounds awesome in our head. And then we go to talk and like, we're tripping over our tongue, our teeth. Uh It's like we forgotten everything we ever knew so you have to be able to until you develop that skill you definitely need to do a little dry run and i think because people often don't like that sales process because they feel they're not good at it they're inherently trying to avoid it it's the easiest thing to push off because then you're thinking about the event you're getting worried you just want to push that stress aside which is the single worst thing you can do Mm -hmm. Like you said, you're not prepared. The other thing is, and I hear this from a lot of people, well, if I go in overly prepared, then I'm going to miss out on what can possibly happen. And like, I'm like, no, you're crazy. Like you go in completely prepared. And then if something comes from left field, you're that much more ready to deal with it. 100%. Yeah. So that's a, that's a big one. I I mean, to, to the point I was making about focus, we tried to sell border security for probably a year and a half. And we're getting largely ignored by broadcasters. And I think it was because of a lack of focus. I think people said, yeah, I know border guards. Yeah, I can see this show. Someone's going to come through. What's going to happen? And it wasn't until we created a story with a tight focus that it got into development. And that focus was, don't you wonder what's in the bag? When you (laughs) see that guy getting pulled, don't you wonder what's in the bag? Like, is he guilty? Is he innocent? Is it like a jar full of, I don't know, snake heads? Is it like what's in the bag? And that's when we sold the show. Yeah. And I mean, I think about that show. I haven't watched it for quite some time, but I there was a point where, you know, occasionally you could almost binge watch it. And I, yeah. always, and I always thought to myself, it's really well produced and really well thought out. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, there's a classic uh, a long time ago, somebody, a friend of mine who was in TV years ago said, you know, make no mistake, you know, the show is just there to keep you hooked between commercials. It's mm-hmm. all about the commercials. And, and that was back in the day, right? And, wow. and all they do is entertain you between commercials. That's all it's all about. It's not about anything else. And I noticed those shows like Border Patrol is that they always put the teaser just before they go to the commercial and there's great drama and you wow. go, shit, I got to put up with this. You can't fast forward. Yeah. What's going on? So anyways, it's, it's interesting how the shows work in, in that regard. And I always kind of chuckle to myself that, you know, when I had that realization years ago, which is, yeah, no, the movie's just there to entertain you between commercials. That's, that's. What and, and I don't think that's changed since the dawn of storytelling. Like, no. you know, Dickens used to write his books by putting them into whatever the weekly papers and they would have to tease out the end so you pick up the next one. Like, it's always been the same, right? Always the same, isn't it? So have you always done this? That Was there, you know, you you kind of in about 2017, you said you started investing in real estate. But was there, was this always TV? Was always, it had been the past 20 years or right out of school, you, this was your thing? Yeah, I was in, uh, I went straight from journalism school to working in a newsroom. 
to producing, um, working and producing in London for the BBC, straight back to more writing and producing here, and then it's TV, and it's been in TV ever since. I, I actually don't see myself doing anything else. I, I love it, and, and half the reason I'm in real estate is so I can enjoy TV more. So, okay, well, great. So what is it about TV? I mean, TV's changed so much. I mean, mm. I want to talk about that a little bit, but what is it about television that you love so much? I'm in fact, the type of television I'm in, I'm in factual, not necessarily scripted. So I love immersing myself in other people's lives and other people's stories. I love looking at people's lives and asking myself, how can I cut away all these bits and tell this one really interesting piece? My wife will tell you I'm, I'm terrible at conversations because I'm always editing her all the time. I'm like, okay, now that doesn't work. That doesn't work. That okay, just tell me this part. And that's all I've always just kind of been that way. And I think I enjoy taking a human experience and giving it a sort of fine tuned clarity. I find a therapy in that. And then when it's all done, this package is done. And I get to move on to something completely different. So what have you seen? What's kind of some of the biggest changes you've seen since uh pandemic and have you had to pivot i'm assuming you've had to oh huge yeah. well i i think at the beginning of the pandemic it was hitting everybody who needed to be out there in a group in a physical space no matter what you were doing was going to be challenging and so tv and film essentially shut down and then we had to pivot just through the different protocols we had to pivot but then i find the uh, tastes of the audience changed big time around say spring when we realized, okay, this is going to be around for a while. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of shows that networks were very, very interested in that they turned around and went, this is just too heavy. Now people don't want to deal with these topics. People want light and fluffy and, you know, they want escapism. They want to celebrate something that's sort of the craving of the audience. So then we had to turn and change what we were developing and I started working with a broadcaster in Canada to develop a, a fun, light family game show because that's kind of the appetite right now. When you're producing these shows, you're working with the talent. Is there a consistent thing that you have to overcome? Is there something that you know to expect when you're working with different individuals? Because you're not really working with, you're working with talent per se, because whoever's going to be in front of the camera is talent, whether they're experienced or not experienced. Are there some pretty standard or there's, is there some challenges that you face on a regular basis when you're, when you're doing these shows? One good example is, and I'll use The Bachelor as an example, that The Bachelor is like a ship that leaves port and you've got to cross the ocean. And the moment you leave port, you know that there's holes everywhere. And so you need to get this ship now across the ocean because there's no turning back. Like when you when you start a show like The Bachelor and you've got, got all these people in a, in a lockdown space, it's like they can't leave. You can't go, this isn't working. we got to pause everybody, go home and rethink this. Mm -hmm. It's like, you've got to just keep this going. You've got to solve problems on the fly all the time, which means to do that, you constantly have to be in the edit suite in your head. You have to see what is the show going to look like? This person's doing this. So what's going to happen after and after and after? And you're constantly trying to complete a puzzle where the pieces keep changing shape and you're constantly reorienting it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a problem that happens, I'd say, in almost every show. It's amplified by The Bachelor, but it's pretty much when you're making TV, that's that's what's happening, right? So when you go back, when you go, you know, you're, you said your dad was an electrician, your mom, she... He was a, a secretary homemaker. Yeah, she's yeah, a kid. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So as a kid growing up, siblings? Mm-hmm. I'm the youngest of five. 
you're youngest of five. So you go on a, a really, you end up on an entrepreneurial journey. Did, mm-hmm. did, did you see that beforehand or was that later in life? Did that show up? How did you, uh, how do you, I think it showed up pretty early. I, I've never been the best um, employee and I've never been the best at abiding by protocols dictated by others. And maybe that's from being the youngest, mm-hmm. you know, the youngest of five. Oh, so youngest of five. So, and and by, by a big distance, like my, my oldest brother, 16 years older than me. Right. So So you're the, definitely the spoiled child then. According to them, (laughs) they they would, they would say that. Uh, I would say bullied child in a lot of cases. Like, I just think, you know, you did what they told you to do. The other thing is you never really had anything to offer because they had already done it. Mm-hmm. So growing up, it's like you don't have the same voice other people do because they're already past the stages you're entering all the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was the reason I got into storytelling and TV is I finally got to uh, tell stories that people would pay attention to. Well, I'm always curious, you know, is, you know, in, in the world of entrepreneurs, you know, there's different ways to get to that, you know, be on that journey and get to that place. But is it nature? Is it nurture? You know, is it is mm-hmm. it something that... You know, did your parents encourage some form of that with you or was it just something that you picked up on? So for you, was there was there a, a kind of a light bulb moment? Was it something your dad said, you know, some Sean, you can just go do that. You can go do that on your own and you don't have to go work for somebody. Was that? Kind I think of- it probably in retrospect was my dad uh, had a very comfortable, great job as an electrician. He chose to go out on his own to be his own boss. I think it's probably a genetic thing, therefore. Mm-hmm. And he, and then the nurture part of it would be, he would always say like, do whatever you want. Like, don't let anyone tell you you've got to do something a certain way. Now you were born and raised in, uh, in, in Richmond. In yeah, yeah. Near Vancouver. Yeah. Near Vancouver. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting as we brought this up, I, I, I can think of right off the top of my head, a half a dozen Ray members who's kids whose children went on to do producers. Some of them made a couple of them I can think of did documentaries. And so it's interesting to see, you know, now that you, as I'm speaking with you, that within even the rain community, how many members I can think of that I'm aware of, and there's probably more that their, their children went on to do something in, in film. And, uh, and actually you had some, these four or five people that I'm thinking of are, actually had some success with it. Like, I don't know where they're at today, but just an interesting part of it. So tell me about real estate, Sean. So you're, you're going along, you're going, holy shit, you know, this is, I'm, this is a grind or this is, you know, I'm yeah. my grind is in boring grind is in holy cow. I've got to create and do something beyond this. Uh, so how did real estate start to show up for you? Well, I wanted to create, there's two reasons, actually. One is I wanted to create a a certain amount of certainty with my income. And I didn't find that existed with stocks. I didn't know enough about them. There was too many market fluctuations. I couldn't figure it out. The second thing is I wanted something tangible that was in front of me that existed. And, And one of the places I always find angst in television is you're creating it from your head. So it's coming from scratch, you're selling it, and then you have to make it and it doesn't exist yet. And I find that there's a a huge amount of existential stress that I have from that. And I couldn't take that on in a different business. What I loved about property was you look at a house, you put someone in it, it exists. You know, the problems are very physical, right? Like the furnace isn't working. You know, we need to replace this. We need to like find new doorknobs. We need to fix the windows. It's like, I know what that is. I know what it costs. I know I got to get someone there, right? I mean, those to me are very comforting problems as opposed to the show doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. How do we fix it, right? That's a much more 
different problem. So I was like, well, how do I do it in a way that works? And so we'll go back to the Windsor thing. And this is probably not advice that you would give to your ring members. Probably not. Probably not at all. It just happened to work. But I went through and I said, where can I buy something where my we'll call it the drips that come from what you earn after your uh, tenant is in, that it would still be worth my while if this place went to zero. Mm. And I looked at Windsor and I went, okay, at the time, this is again, 2016, 2017. I'm like, okay, I can get a condo here for like 105 grand. And I did some research. I'm like, okay, this condo rents for say a thousand a month. And I'm like, well, I got to put 20 grand down. And then when I ran all the numbers, I'm like, I'm left with 200 bucks a month. And 200 bucks a month is 20. I'm making 24% interest on my, or I was 10%, sorry, interest on my 20 grand. I'm going to make 10% on this thing. And I'm like, and then I calculated time. I'm like, even if this thing goes to zero and the rent doesn't even go up in 20 or 30 years, I'm going to do this. I'm like, well, if I could do that 20 times over, then I can, you know, and then just doing that utterly simple math. And then following that, of course, doing some research on the market itself and Windsor and industry and universities and healthcare and on and on and on. I did some legwork. I'm like, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. But Windsor wasn't on anyone's list. It was basically this dump. And people were like, okay, it's 2008. Everything else had bounced back. Windsor had not bounced back. But their economy had bounced back to a great degree. And I'm like, is it, is it some ignored child over here? <laughs> and, and I think it was. I think that's where we got very fortunate is that it was kind of had a reputation, yeah. but it was working against its own reputation. It was doing a lot better than its reputation indicated. Right. And people weren't picking up a lot on that. They were investing sort of in the greater Toronto region. You know, they were going out to Guelph, et cetera. And so we started getting in there really early and really cheap. And then it was essentially discovered and, and took off after that. So I know that you're going to continue your real estate investing journey. Now, in the in the world of production and writing and all the things that you're doing, what have you got on? What can you what can you share about what what exciting things are we going to be looking for aside from what we're doing with rain? What other what exciting things are you looking to do on some of your projects? What do you got going on? Well, I'm really excited about a show I'm supposed to hear about that I can't talk a lot about. Oh my God. <laughs> That's like the um, teaser right there. It is. It really is. Oh, more to come, yeah. <laughs> Let's go to commercial break. Okay. I, would, I would love to. And then we'd have to come back a month later after I get a green light on the show because uh, I don't have it yet and I'm under an NDA. But I have some stuff in development with a major broadcaster here, which I think could be a super fun, light, energized program that I think people will really enjoy. And then I've got a uh, big doc series with MGM in the US that we're working on together that is hugely compelling, really interesting, and I can't tell you about either, Patrick. Okay, <laughs> that wasn't a good story, was it? That wasn't a good story. <laughs> a story. I'm trying to think of a, a documentary I just watched, um, and I can't remember the name of it. You might pull it out of me, or it was about a, I think he was a TV guy that kind of just got tired, got out of it and went to uh, hang out on a beach that he had on the ocean. And, uh, Oh, is this the one about the octopus? Octopus. Yeah. That was great. Dude. Have you watched that? Yeah, I have. I recommend it for everything. It's fantastic. Totally absorbing, isn't it? It is so absorbing and he did a brilliant job of it. And to think of what, you know, he was was almost, I think it was a full year 
are very, very close to a full year and going in every day into that water. And like he said, is, you know, and it was cold and he was uh, no tanks. He was, you know, free free diving the whole time. I mean, that part of it was a remarkable just on what he did physically. Mm -hmm. And then to add to that, the, you know, the camera work, the cinematography or whatever you referred to that as, it was a pretty epic show. It was very, very good, very well. Well, What I think what was interesting about that was it's when you can take a topic like that where it's somebody's inherent passion, it's a journey of discovery, so you don't really know what's going to happen with his octopus friend, but it also has a very visceral response to the audience. Like we all picture ourselves sort of like immersing ourselves in cold, whatever that experience is. So you kind of enter that space with him, even though you and I, well, definitely not me, I don't free dive. I can imagine going into that world with him. And I think he really, he did an amazing job of just taking you there. Yeah, he did a really amazing job. So if you're listening in on this, that's, don't remember the title of it, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't think it's my octopus. Friend, my, I, I, think it's, it's no, I think it's, I think it's called my octopus teacher. Oh, there it is. There it is. Well that's done. It. That's it well right done. there. I think that's what it was. So anyways, well worth the, well worth the, yeah, that's great. so, on another note here, let me let me go back about because writing. So I do some writing, and I've done you know in, in to the degree I do it, and I enjoy it. Uh, I don't do it enough. I used to actually enjoy creative writing, but what do you do? Do you run out of ideas? Do you run into uh, creative blocks, whether it be pr- producer blocks, writer blocks, idea blocks? How do you? And then how do you? What do you do to look after yourself in that regard? Uh, I think life is is a, a writer's block. To me, I don't, I'm not one of those people that wakes up with great ideas. Mm-hmm. I, I wake up with a desire to come up with a great idea. And I think that I have really only two solutions that work. One is talk to everybody and anybody about anything. Um, there's a great book by Brian Grazer. He's a, um, a huge Hollywood producer. He did Apollo 13. He's uh, anyway, very big guy. He has a whole book on curiosity. And I think it's a lot of, it reminds me of you and a lot of what you do is like when you exercise your curiosity and you come to someone without an agenda, you get so much more back. Mm-hmm. You're going to learn from that person. It's going to spur ideas. It's going to help you change your thinking. And I think the worst thing you can do when you have a writer's block is get stuck in your own head because you spin very quickly, right? You have a pattern and you're going to go in a circle, but you start talking to other people, even about something totally unrelated you'll eventually steer back to where you need to be and be like, wow, you know, I'm looking at this from a different place right now. The only other thing I would say is physical exercise, because if you're not exercising, getting some endorphins in there, you're probably not going to do anything good. Well, let's go back then. So do you, yeah. do you have a physical workout routine? Do you, are you active? Do you walk a lot, run a lot? Mm-hmm. What do you do? I have both. Mm-hmm. I, I'm good in the morning. So I tend to get up early, do as much of the housekeeping and stuff while my brain is fresh. And then I'll start to dip at 11. Mm -hmm. I'll always, I try to do, um, I call it a thousand reps and a 10,000 steps a day. Mm -hmm. So I will do a workout very quickly Mm -hmm. and then I'll go back to my work and then I'll do part of a workout very quickly just to keep my brain fresh, to keep things moving. Yeah. And so do you write on a regular basis? Now, the reason I ask this question is because as I study different guys who are writers and, uh, you know, especially those who are writing blogs, but just writers in general, uh, sometimes, you know, some of these blogs are, you know, 10 minute, 15 minute reads. I mean, there's a lot of words. Yeah. Um, so when you're writing, do you write a lot? What, how do you, how do you kind of, cause I think writing is something that everybody should do like yeah. just for no other reason to uh, bring out that skill. I, I don't care if you only ever use it to write a great email. I just know the quality of some of the emails I get. I think to myself, man, you know, did, 
did any thought go into this? Are you any, are you aware at all of what you just said? So yeah. it a- goes back to what you were saying. And we were discussing earlier about storytelling, right? Like your email is a story too. Like, how are you presenting yourself? Is there authenticity behind it? Or are you saying something that somebody would be interested in hearing? Does that sentence, is that an interesting sentence, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that storytelling is hugely important. I mean, on top of writing, obviously, reading, I read a lot. I think that that is hugely important for just your ability to write. Mm-hmm. But as far as my writing exercises go, and what I would recommend to anyone, I don't care if you're what business you're in, is I do morning pages. So I'll do, this is my book. I got it right here. Okay, but okay, so slow down. This is great. Yeah. This is great because yeah. we've talked about pages on the show many times. Mm. Okay. So as, as an exercise, right? So, yeah. but but you actually use it as an exercise, you know, so yours, you use pages over traditional type journaling or? Yeah, so here, here's my book right here. Yep. Here's my morning pages. So I'll do three pages like this. Mm-hmm non-stop hands not allowed to leave the paper the moment i wake up so before you check your phone before you get your email before you start your day i get up i pull out the book i write three pages i know i don't stop and i find that there's two things one is it gets my brain woken up in in the right way helps me construct sentences later on but the other thing is it gets whatever crap i wake up with out of my head right away so it's not interfering with me later on in the day whether that's stress or what my family needs or on and on and on, I get that. I, I feel for me, I need to get that conversation just out and on paper so I can leave it behind and then just start focusing on tasks ahead. And a lot of writers use that, use that technique. So the explain the technique a little bit. My understanding and what I've used that when I've done pages, it's been literally whatever comes into your brain, you it translates onto paper, whatever it could be, you know, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. There's no method to the madness. It could be, you know, just it's just crazy talk you know it's not notes you're going to review it's not a to-do list it's just whatever thoughts are coming into brain you're firing it down on and in your case three pages exactly this is exactly the same i mean with me uh and i've heard this from other writers as well is it is always the best to do a long hand with a pen and paper the physical act of writing it your brain connecting to your hand as opposed to sitting and typing uh so that's the only rule i have and the other rules i'm not allowed to stop that's a good rule. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of journaling because I've done it for years and I've done different versions of journaling. And, you know, even with coaching clients and, and Stephanie and I work in our within Shift, the program that we launched, one of the things we encourage people to do is, in fact, journal. Now, here's, you know, something that you mentioned in even in talking about pages is it really is a, it is a brain dump. It's a way to free up hard drive space. It's a way for your you know, there's a, there's a fundamental kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The effectiveness of it is to brain, your brain fires in a funny way. Mm-hmm. You carry thoughts around all the time. Yeah. And when you physically write, to your point, it's a little bit of maybe cathartic there as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it actually takes your brain. This is what's cool about it. So if you've got a really busy brain, when you write it, your brain... It says, I don't need to remember this anymore. Mm-hmm. You actually free up brain space and your whole brain fires differently differently. That's the power of journaling. Yeah. And and pages is one of those things. You're, you know, to your point, you're just kind of getting rid of that, those random thoughts that you have in the morning, free up the space for yeah. the next part of your day. Anyways, I spent a little bit of time on it because I'm such a huge fan of it. And and certainly many, many uh, guests that have had journaling is just a, a part of their day. Well, I think it's such a game changer because it applies to 
absolutely anyone can do it. Even if you don't, whatever it is, it, like you said, it gets the garbage out of your head. And so if I wake up and I'm making breakfast for my kids, I'm present now. Like I know, I know that I'm present with them. When I don't do it, those thoughts are still circling in my head and then I'm distracted, then I'm irritable. Then I got, you know, that cycle going in it. And I feel for me in my busy brain, I need to break that cycle. So good. And so thanks for sharing that. Now you, you, so you do your morning routine. So you do some journaling, you do that pages uh, segment of it, and then you go to do your workout. Are you, then you, or you fire the kids off to school? How do you, how do you, how does your morning go? And is it- and I'm going to describe my ideal morning. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to say occasionally this. this is me every day. Occasionally you live into it. Okay, good. Got it. <laughs> my wife is very kind. She knows I can't get up without coffee. So she gets up before me. She brings me a coffee. I roll over. Yeah, I know. You hear that, right? That's the other game changer, Patrick. Oh, my bring you coffee in the morning. She must love you a lot. <laughs> Go ahead. So I have my coffee. I write my morning pages. I uh, do my meditation and my devotions to sort of set my priorities straight for that day. Yeah. And then I get up and I spend, currently because of the circumstances, I'll spend as much time with my kids as I can. And because my schedule is flexible, I like to take them to school, actually. There are moments there when we're all just contained in the vehicle. And then I go home and to my office and I do the easy stuff. I always say I have the list because part of the second step in the morning is making my list. And I find as a, I call it a solopreneur at the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, I need that structure. Mm-hmm. So I will write that list down. Uh, I will write down when I'm going to exercise, when I'm going to have my breaks. And it sounds overly regimented, but if I don't, I know that I will start to drift and turn and there's a rabbit hole here or a conversation here or something that feels busy, but isn't productive work. So I regiment my day almost by the hour. And I know how long it'll take to get that work done. And then I, 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 I space out my exercise breaks just to keep my brain fresh. So I'm not stuck sitting. You know, it's an interesting part of what you just described, which is really you talk about regimented, but there is a discipline there. You also know yourself well enough to consider the fact that if you don't have that structure, you're going to drift. You'll go down to your point down some rabbit hole. Uh, I can certainly be guilty of that uh, far too often. Just before I step over, how old are your kids? Uh, They're 11 and 13. A great age, right? So. so okay, so your wife brings you coffee in the morning. I I don't even know what to say to that. She, well, say that you talked to somebody today, and, and the amount of productivity and what it did was was a life changer. Would she like to to take this journey with you? Tell a story, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> Come up with a good story. Okay? Oh, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to work on that. So. Um, that's great. I love my morning. I'm a morning person. I'm, I, I can often be up at 4.30 a.m., 5 a.m. is a kind of a normal thing. Sleeping in until 6 is pretty even rare for me. And, and that's just how I've always, always been built. Now, Stephanie is not an early riser. It's not that she sleeps in, but she's not up at 4.30 in the morning. She thinks I'm, you know, like, go ahead. Yeah. crazy. I'm not getting up. So, and that's fine. So she, so my mornings, my routine in my mornings, I do own my mornings. It's a very, very important part of how I operate. And I really get thrown off if my morning gets thrown off. And of course, because part of my team's in Eastern Canada, you know, with a three hour time difference, you know, JG, for example, you know, he's already got his workout in, you know, yeah. by 5 a.m. my time, right? So he's ready to go. And I'm going, okay, dude, you go do what you do. And so we've, 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 we've learned to dance together in that way. But that, that routine is really important. And that's what I'm hearing from you. And that's what I hear consistently is the individuals who 
are achieving some great results, it is because they have a, a routine and they have a focus in that regard. Yeah, I think, and you're going to hear from a lot of people, I'm not a morning person. And, and I personally am not a morning person. What I've learned is the benefits of making yourself or disciplining yourself into a morning routine mm. uh, is a game changer. I had a friend once, um, you'll probably cut this out, but it's a funny story. He was so not a morning person that he once woke up so late, he was late for dinner. And <laughs> he was, I'm not joking, he actually was late to a dinner because he had slept in so much. He recently, uh, we were out for a drink and his business had taken off and he's doing really well now. Super busy guy. Uh, and he said the only game changer was he created a morning routine. That was the only explanation he had. He goes, you know, I used to get up at 930 and struggle to get somewhere by 10 and panic through my day. He's like, I get up at 6.30. Not insane, not like you at 4.30, but 6.30. And he's given himself that two and a half hours. And, and it's just this magic time in the morning where the pressures haven't hit you yet. And you're not reacting. That, I think that's the biggest thing, maybe, is you're not in reactive mode in the morning. You're more in a proactive mode. It really sets you up for the day. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate, I guess, just to be built that way. And uh, because I've really come to appreciate it and take advantage of it. And, and it really is my time to kind of get my shit together, which sometimes is hard work. Now, what about diet? You know, you operate in a, a high level in terms of what you're doing with your production and business. And, and so there's lots of pressures with that. There's lots of pressures to be creative, lots of pressures to deliver and, and lead teams and do all the things that you do. You have your pages, you have a workout routine. Now, what about diet and sleep? Because uh -huh. I, I guess what I'm really asking, are these focuses of your, Sean, like, do you actually intentionally, are you intentionally aware of how much sleep you have? Are you? Yeah, always. Yeah, because I, um, well, again, there's, I guess, multiple reasons. One is I chose the business and the way I live my life, I chose it to create a certain amount of, of happiness and a certain amount of well-being. So I think a lot of people like to boast about how little sleep they get, how crazily they're working. And, and, and they don't say, yeah, but you know, I'm happy. Almost like happiness is an indulgence or you know, peace is an indulgence. And I have no desire to live that way. I used to live that way. It used to be, you know, the mark of pride to not sleep. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not enjoying life. So who's winning this game? This is just stupid. Right. And so I wanted to create something much more sustainable. So to answer your question again, I'm very conscious of the amount of sleep I get. I know I need honestly eight to nine hours, mm. eight hours. I need, I am an 11 to 6.30, so let's call it 10.30 to 6.30. I, I am very regimented about needing that sleep, and, and my wife will affirm I'm terrible if I don't get it. I just need that sleep. When it comes to diet, I like to feel good, you know, and I've learned over the years that constantly eating from stress, and, and a lot of people in film do this. You get up and you, you're going to reach for a sugary carb or something very early on to get a dopamine fix to get through your first hurdle, but then you've got hurdles all day long. Mm -hmm. And I was having that too, where I was like, this is not healthy. I'm just, I'm eating almost like a, like its own addict. Like you become the sugar caffeine addict. So I completely changed my diet. I actually don't eat until three or 4 PM every day. Oh, you do doing intermittent? Yeah, I do intermittent. I'll eat in a six to eight hour window. Interesting. I, I've done intermittent. Uh, I've done, I've kind of done it all. I'm, I'm, uh -huh. I'm very much built that way in terms of watching diet i i yeah. i just i eat generally pretty well i'm i'm just recently uh you know 
kind of given COVID-19, I almost hit the full 19 pounds that I put on. Uh-huh, me too. <laughs> so anyways, I'm uh, not quite that bad, but I'm, I'm, I'm dialing it back. The point is, is I've, I'm, I'm back to keto, which I've always enjoyed. I like it. And, uh, and I, I actually do some intermittent fasting with keto. So yeah, that's a good, if you can do that, that's, that's fantastic. I find, um, I did keto for a very long time and I found that Eating to me, as much as I'm, I'm disciplined about it, is also a reward for certain things. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm not eating till three, I can open up my diet a bit more and, and enjoy certain things that I wouldn't enjoy normally. And keto didn't allow me to do that. And then I found I would go back and forth. And keto is not something you can cheat on very easily without feeling like total crap. Yep. So good for you if you can do both. So, so when you look at the sleep, you know, I think about my own sleep. So I, I'm, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm certainly know that I consistently get six and a half hours sleep uh-huh. and, and I give myself permission to sleep all the time, you know, nothing, no, no more meetings in the morning, go sleep. And it's like six and a half hours, six and a half hours, six and a half hours. And although I'm not, I'm a Fitbit guy, not an Apple guy, but if you, you know, when I track my sleep, which I do, cause I do pay attention to it all. Uh, it's consistently, and every so often I get seven hours ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't really feel any different about it, but then there's individuals like you that say, like, I know I need eight or nine hours and and I'm just not built that way. And I had to work through that myself because I used to beat myself up going, you need more sleep. Well, actually, apparently I don't. And, uh, you know, as a kid growing up, my mom used to say, gosh, you know, you'd be gone in the morning and, uh, I don't even know how you pulled it off. You'd be gone before I even got up. And that that's what that's of course that's back in the days when parents let their kids run around the streets with Yeah, right. When you, <laughs> you probably didn't have to make them breakfast, drive them in. What an easy time back then to be a parent. What did they do? My neighbors, you know, go to my buddy's house and her his mom would cook me breakfast. And so, anyways, it's interesting to know that dynamic. And and time and time again, the reason I put a little bit of emphasis on it is because time and time again, as I'm talking to those individuals that uh, are on the show, they have a, a pretty standard routine that they they follow and they're, they're the discipline that they put into practice. Now, what about meditation? Let's talk about that. Do you, are you a meditator? Have you ever examined that part of it? Where are you in that regard? Yeah, I find that it's been very healthy for me to just clear my head, to know what my priorities are, to know what's most important, to, to sort of Every day, I feel like I've got to put the hierarchy in place, like what matters most. And so I know what I'm operating from, because I think by nature, most of us are fairly competitive people. Mm -hmm. And then you have to ask yourself right away, well, who and what am I competing against? And what am I competing for? And I find for me, I need to sit there and go, okay, what's the most important thing? And the meditation helps me do that. I also find it just a brain recharge, you know? Mm -hmm. So have you got goals? Are you a goal setter? You know, we're... You know, what, what's the, what's the big thing you got planned for 2021? Well, I would like to, I've tried to put goals in every different category, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to spend and I always, and I think the other thing I'll say about goals is it goes back to the morning pages and everything else. Like that is the beauty of writing things down. And I always keep my journals because I like to refer back to them and go, Oh, you know, five years ago, I said, I wanted this. And now it's been five years and okay, actually I have achieved it. I do feel good about it. Right. I, you know, that's interesting. I rarely look back in any of my journals. I, I literally, my journals are, are pretty much a brain dump. Uh-huh. And uh, so that's interesting. Some people do, some don't. I, I don't happen to. I'll, I'll, if I go back, if I happen to think of it, 
and it's it's convenient. I'll go back to the previous year, same kind of month, same day, if, if I happen to be journaling through that period of time, and look where my headspace was, let's say, a year ago versus where my headspace is today. And um, that can be both invigorating and a little depressing because sometimes <laughs> the conversation hasn't changed. Yeah, there's that. I don't, I never, I will say, to, to go back to your point, I never reread my brain dump. But oh, what I do well, yeah. is, Especially with pages, especially with pages. Oh my goodness. I'm no. talking about journaling. I'm talking about journaling. If I'm, if I'm intentionally journaling, not just doing pages. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I can't even read, I can't even read my hand, right? I have no, no idea. What I said. Nobody could ever decipher it. But <laughs> after it, I tend to write lists. I'm a big list maker. And if I'm feeling uh, angsty or reflective or whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll do lists and goals. And I like to just keep those present so I can look back a year, two, three years and go, okay, have I, where have I progressed and have I achieved the things I wanted to achieve? Right. So I do do that. Uh, on the list for the coming year, I would love uh, in the real estate section. I really want to want to have a multi-unit apartment building, like something twelve or, or bigger, was the the next level we wanted to go to in our real estate partnership. On the entertainment side, I'm working towards directing my first feature film, which has been one of my goals since I was uh, eleven. I'm getting very close to that goal, so I'd like to accomplish that. And then on the familial side, is I try to take my kids on one uh, special trip each year. I took my son to Europe to back uh, when he was nine to sort of like take him through where I lived in London. And I found there was a, there was a time there that's very hard to create that kind of time, like seven, 10, you know, 12 days to do something, but boy, it pays dividends in the future. We still talk about it all the time. Wow. So I want to do another one of those trips this year. Well, when we can travel. When we can yeah. Travel. When, when, whenever that might happen, we're not sure. Um, one day soon, one day soon. So I love some great insights here, uh, Sean. I really appreciated you uh, joining me on the show. And as we start to wind things down, I always do a, a kind of a rapid fire, uh, you know, set of questions just to get to know you just that, that okay. little bit better. So are you ready to do this? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are so, they, do you change the questions every time? Uh, no. I keep pretty. <laughs> no, they should have done more homework. Okay. <laughs> They're pretty. Yeah, if you would listen to the show every so often. <laughs> were. Well, there's going to be one episode I'll listen. To. I'll, I'll throw. I'll throw one. I'll throw one in. That's you know. So this is iPhone or uh, Android. iPhone. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Of course, easy answer. Uh, favorite inspirational quote? Do you have one? Be kind. Oh. Hmm. Is it can can you attribute that to anybody? I don't know. Yeah, I can. I was in the newsroom and it was the worst day ever, and people were shitting all over each other and freaking out. And there was this one very very senior guy in the newsroom who's like on the brink of retirement. And amidst all this chaos, he turns to me and goes, "I'll give you one piece of advice. You never forget this for the rest of your life." He goes, "No matter what hits the fan, be kind." Mm. And I was like. That is good advice. That is good advice. That's really good advice. Favorite book or uh, most influential book? Maybe even one that you gift a lot? Great Expectations. I think it's like the best book ever written. No kidding. That coming from a, you know, somebody, yeah. Okay, so it isn't a self-help book. Well, it kind of is, I guess. It's about what really matters in life and this person who comes from nothing, who, who gets vaulted into this incredibly privileged place and gets all of his dreams and forgets where he came from. I think, uh, I don't know. It's a beautifully written story too. I love that perspective. That's really, really great. Uh, favorite tune. Oh, bittersweet symphony. Favorite movie. Good fellas. Oh, that was a good movie. That was a good movie. <laughs> What's your favorite movie? 
I don't know that I have, you know, I, I, if I, if I had to be, if one is going to be drawn out of me, uh, really, really enjoy, uh, Shawshank. Uh, oh, that's a great, yeah. Redemption. Great cool. And, and then there's another movie and I can't think of what it's called right now. So I can't tell you what it is, but it's, uh, it was, it was interesting is, so I used to be, um, had a little brother. So I was part of big sisters, big brothers program. And I had a little brother and we used to go to movies a lot and I can't remember the name of this darn movie. I think it was, Oh, almost famous. Oh yeah. Oh, Cameron Crowe. That's such a great movie. So I, I, I go to uh, this movie and I take Jesse to the movie and we're sitting there and I, I think he was about 16, 15 at the time. And we watched that movie and, uh, and the movie came to an end and I just always remember. And he goes, he looked at me and he goes, I, I don't want this movie to be over. Oh, yes. And I went, it was so oh. good. Gosh, I was remember like, that? Like that, that is the best film about going to the movies, especially as a kid. You're like, because you couldn't pause it. You can always now you can just go on Netflix, but you know exactly how much is over. But you'd be like, is this gonna? And then you think it's over, and then it comes back and it keeps going. Oh, those are the best. So right. so so. Good. Favorite swear word? Fuck. Yeah. I use it all the time for everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's just hard to beat. Um, but you know something? Many guests, Sean, they come on the show and they go, no, I don't swear. I know, and I applaud those people and their restraint. But I, I, for me, it's like, especially I find if I'm getting tired or something, I find it just, it'll show up in every sentence. Yeah, yeah. And what are you grateful for today? My time I spent with you, actually. I was looking forward to it. Me too. Sean, I'm always grateful for my guests. And today I'm feeling pretty grateful just for, um, you know, always for being in Canada breathing some fresh air, being in the lower mainland of British Columbia, beautiful BC. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for making the time for me. Thanks, Sean. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.